The following is a sermon from Christ Memorial Church. We are a multi-site church in the St. Louis area. We are compelled by two words, loved and sent. We believe everyone is loved deeply by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and everyone is sent with great purpose wherever they go. You can find out more about us at cmstl.org or reliantchurch.org. Enjoy the following sermon. Now in 1945, when the word came from President Truman that Japan had surrendered, that the Second World War had finally ended, our nation entered a somewhat dreamlike trance. People took their celebrations to the streets. In New York City, there was a 20-minute victory roar on the radio stations. Families could hardly believe what they were hearing. They marveled, realizing that their sons, their daughters, their fathers, their husbands would finally be coming home. People couldn't help but celebrate, and nobody could tell you not to smile. Nobody could come up to you and say, well, what do you look so happy about? Don't you know there's a war going on? Because the war had finally ended, and the celebration got a little bit out of hand. It got a little bit undignified. We've all seen the famous picture of two strangers, a sailor fresh off the boat and a nurse caught up in the moment, caught up in the celebration. These two strangers shared a kiss. And out in the country, people were so caught up in the celebration, they wanted to celebrate somehow, but they realized fireworks are in short supply So they went out onto their front lawn and fired guns into the air in celebration. Out in the cities, people went up to their rooftops, to their balconies, with baskets full of shredded cloth and threw them off the balconies and off the rooftops like makeshift confetti. Now if they had done this while the war was still going on, it would have been a little bit inappropriate to say the least. But the war had finally ended, so a little bit of celebration, a little bit of undignified behavior, seemed like the only appropriate thing to do. Now that's the state of mind, the kind of collective experience described in our psalm today, in Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. God's people, the people of B.C. Israel, are looking back on their past, recalling how God had been merciful to them, how God had delivered them in years past. Now, God had done this countless times for the children of Israel, time and time again. But this particular psalm is most closely associated with God delivering his people who spent 70 years in exile in Babylon. You see, the people of Judah had turned their backs on God. They had chased after idols. They had acted contrary to his will. So he gave them over to their enemies. Babylon came. Babylon conquered them, destroyed Jerusalem, and carried her people off in chains. As exiles, they spent 70 years in captivity. Now that's enough time for an entire generation to grow old, die, and be buried far from home. That's enough time for the younger generation to grow up, only hearing about their homeland, only dreaming about the promised land. That's a long time to be away from home. That's enough time to be sorrowful for a season of longing. But God is merciful. And he delivered them from exile. So we see their response 
in Psalm 126. Returning to their homeland seemed surreal. Returning to the promised land seemed too good to be true. Returning to a land they had either never seen or had only seen when they were too small to remember it sure seemed like a dream. But this was no dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. What else can you do when you've been told your entire life that you are a captive, that you are the property of your overlords, but then unexpectedly, miraculously, God restores you to your homeland. God restores you to your hometown. God restores your dignity. So they laughed uncontrollably, maybe until their sides ached, maybe until tears rolled down their faces. But unlike years past, These weren't tears of sorrow. These weren't tears of longing. These were tears of joy. Tears of restoration. And they shouted, maybe in song, maybe in the words of prayers, or maybe in incomprehensible, a little bit maniac-like, uncontrollable shouts until they were hoarse. If they had done this back in Babylon, if they had done this as captives, It would have been completely inappropriate to the situation. But God had done great things for them. So a little bit of celebration seemed like the only appropriate thing to do. Now this weekend, we're celebrating. And we celebrate in ways that we don't ordinarily celebrate. It's come to my attention that uh, fireworks may be strictly prohibited in the city and county of St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, right. I went into Schnooks yesterday, and just about everything was red, white, and blue. All I bought was a watermelon, but I was surprised and a little bit disappointed when I cut it open when I got home and found that it wasn't red, white, and blue on the inside. And I have also done the unthinkable, something I promised myself I would never do. I spent an entire $6.99 on a month-long subscription to Disney Plus solely for the purpose of watching Hamilton on the 4th of July. (laughs) But on a more serious note, we're celebrating a nation that was built on a pretty radical ideal that all people are created equal. We celebrate a nation that aspires to live out that ideal. We celebrate a nation that has given countless lives in support, in defense of that ideal. And it's a good ideal. It's a just ideal. When done right, it's a God-pleasing ideal, and we do well to celebrate it. What's more, although we're a nation peopled with sinners, like every nation in the history of nations, God has been merciful to us. God's been gracious to us, solely out of his goodwill. And that's worth celebrating. That's worth thanking God for. Looking back, seeing what God has done for us, and responding in praise. But let's return to the psalm. While the first half of this psalm begins with God's people, the people of B.C. Israel, looking back and celebrating what God had done for them, The second half looks forward to their present. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. 
God's people are no longer looking back. They're no longer looking back at what God had done for them. They're looking to their present. And they see that they're in need of God's action. They ask him to restore their fortunes like streams in the Negev. Now that passage evokes an image. An image of a stream in the arid region of southern Israel. Where in the dry season, in the droughts, the streams become little more than ditches. But when the season changes, when the rains come, life returns to that stream. The water begins to flow again. The plants begin to grow. The animals return. Crops can be planted and harvested. Because of a change of season, and that's what God's people are asking for, a change of season, just like God had changed their season of exile Sorrow and not belonging to a season of homecoming, of return and belonging. They're asking for him to change their season once again. Whether the season they're in is a literal season of drought or famine. Perhaps it was a season of political upheaval. Or maybe a season of spiritual hunger. They're asking God to once again turn their sorrow into joy. The psalm speaks of sowing in sorrow, sowing in tears, and reaping, harvesting in joy. While they look back and see that God has proven himself to be merciful, they look to the present, at their lean season, and they ask God to change their season once again, to turn their sorrow into joy. While this weekend, we look back and we celebrate we must also look to the present. We find ourselves in a season of sorrow, a season of illness, a season of isolation, for some a season of loneliness, a season of fear, a season of mistrust, a season of division, a season of plain old hurt. And we look back at what God has done for us in the past. We look back at how the people rejoice when that war finally ended. And we would like the same for ourselves. Wouldn't it feel like a dream to wake up tomorrow and to hear on the radio or to see on the television, to hear someone say and really mean it, hang up your masks for good. Go outside. Go hug your neighbor. Go to the nursing homes. Go to the hospitals. There are people who haven't seen an unmasked face in months. There are people who haven't seen a real full smile in months. There are people who have been longing, dying even, just for human touch. We ask God to do that for us. Not because we're his favorite people. Not because we've done anything to deserve it but because we believe in a God who is merciful. We ask him to do that for our people and to do that for our other seasons of sorrow, to bring healing to the division in this country, to bring trust again for an end to fear, solely because we believe in a God who is merciful. Do we ask for that change in season? But no matter how many times God restored the fortunes of his chosen people, of Israel. He would have to do it again. They would always manage to get themselves back into trouble, wouldn't they? 
enemy after enemy, catastrophe after catastrophe, upheaval after upheaval. Now, this isn't just a case of simple misfortune or plain old bad luck. This is a case of sin, of sin and its consequences. Sin is the root cause of all sorrow, and sin runs deep to the very heart and core of humanity. And we are no exception today. While we celebrate a nation built on an idea that all people are created equal, while we aspire to be a nation with truth and justice for all, we have not lived up to that aspiration. We look on the news, we see sin. We look next door, we see sin. We look in our households, sin runs deep. We look in the mirror and see that we have not aspired to what we have been called to be. God could well restore our fortunes. He could bring an end to this today. But even if he does, what comes next? What will we need restored next? What's the next catastrophe? If this year has taught us anything, it can always be worse. That's a hopeless picture. Unless, unless God has a deeper vision of what restoration looks like. Unless God has a plan to restore things more completely. Unless God has a plan to turn all sorrow into joy. To restore humanity at its very core. I am glad to tell you today, friends, that God has such a plan. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And we see that play out in an almost unimaginable way. A group of women went out at dawn one Sunday morning, carrying spices, carrying ointments, meant for a dead body. They went out expecting to place these spices, these ointments, on a body that had already been placed underground. Their Jesus had died, brutally and cruelly, and that was a cold, dark reality. That was a season of sorrow. A sorrow so cold and dark as the tomb they were expecting to find that body in. But they find something unimaginable. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. And they are greeted by two men whose appearances you couldn't imagine in your wildest dreams. And these men ask them the unthinkable. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This must be a dream. This can't be happening. I want to assure you it was no dream And it did, in fact, happen. This is the promised restoration. This is a change of season that will restore all fortunes. Those women returned, hardly believing, but with the harvest of joy. Joy without end. A joy that in our language we can summarize in three easy words. He is risen. He 
Jesus lived, died, rose, and lives again. He died and rose for the sins of B.C. Israel, for the sins of our nation, and for all peoples. And he's coming back. Back to fulfill what he started. Back to turn all sorrow into joy. To restore humanity to its very core. To turn all sorrow into joy. And there and then, our God has promised to wipe away all tears. But today, while we're waiting, while we're longing, while we're expecting and praying for God to restore our fortunes, we recognize that we are citizens of an earthly nation. And we recognize that God has been good to us. And with that comes responsibility. Through the cross, through the empty tomb, we see what we are called to be, to be a people who truly practice truth, justice, and righteousness. We see sin for what it is, and we see its consequences for what, for what they are, but, but we believe in a God who is merciful. So we ask for those small restorations, for those small turns of seasons, for an end to this pandemic, for an end of holding each other even further than arm's length, for an end to the division among our people, for an end to the misuse, the mispractice of justice. Not because we deserve it, but because our God is good. He is merciful. He's already proven it. But even more than citizens, than residents of an earthly nation, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we are looking forward to a bigger turn of seasons, to a more complete, a total restoration for all peoples, for all nations, not just our earthly nation. And we're longing for that day when Jesus comes back to complete what he started, what he finished with the wooden cross and an empty tomb. And there and then he will turn all sorrow, all pain, all longing, all sense of not belonging into joy into uncontrollable, dreamlike, the very real joy. To a day when all tears, all cries will be permanently replaced with laughter and shouts of joy. Friends, God is merciful and he will do it. Amen. Now, if you'll join me in a word of prayer. God, you have shown us who you are and what your business is about. You've shown the children of Israel that you are merciful. And through Jesus Christ, we become your people, citizens of that heavenly kingdom. Even now, even while we wait for its full fulfillment, we are citizens of that kingdom now. And Lord, you have called us to be to be something higher. Lord, we pray for the strength, for your will, for your guidance, for your truth to be done among us, even as we are citizens of an earthly kingdom. Lord, we pray for our earthly kingdom, that we would be what you would have us be, that your truth would be our truth, 
that your righteousness would be our righteousness, that your laws would be reflected in our small laws. Lord, we pray for the safety of our people, for the well-being of our people, for the hearts of our people, that through the actions of us citizens of your heavenly kingdom, that those who share this earthly nation with us would see your glory done among us. Come quickly, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the sermon from Christ Memorial. If you happen to be in St. Louis or live in St. Louis, we would love to meet you and have you join us for worship on Sunday. We are located in South County, St. Louis at 5252 South Lindbergh. We also have a city site called Reliant that is located on the St. Louis University Medical Campus in Crave Coffee House. You can find all of our worship times and information at cmstl.org or reliantchurch.org. Hope you have a good day, and remember, you are loved by God deeply through His Son, Jesus Christ, and you are sent with great purpose wherever you go. Have a good day.